title of today's lesson is The Three Minutes of Love. Now, I said to myself when we were, when I was getting this thing ready and trying to really kind of look over it and uh, get it ready for delivery, I was thinking, you know, we're just coming off, you know, yesterday was Christmas and, and I, you know, holidays, people, got the families and, and all of that are together. And, and I thought, this is kind of like, the iconic post Christmas message. <laughs> now you'll now you'll know as we peel back the when we start peeling back the layers of this thing, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Because in in every family, every family there's a dynamic. Every family. And I'm not when I say this, take it the right way. Not every family has problems. But after the holidays, sometimes we struggle with certain things after being in the presence of, of, of sometimes maybe we're hard to deal with, maybe someone else is hard to deal with. I thought this was kind of funny because I thought, man, this is, this is it's kind of comical to me that this would be the message that you would get right after Christmas. <laughs> so, so as we get into this, I think you'll understand as we peel these layers back that it's, it's, uh, there's a lot to glean from this. So the central truth uh, for today's message is our love for God is demonstrated by our service to others. I read that and I was like, oh man, I can already see where this is going. I mean, I could, al- I could already see the arrows were pointing in this, this very particular direction. Under Let's Get Started, so when family members love one another, it shows in the way they interact with one another in the things they do for each other, and in uh, what they say to other people about their loved ones. Our love for God and for others is demonstrated in some of the same ways. And I was like, wow, the lesson is already picking things apart, especially after families have come together. Maybe there's you know, issues with, you know, you deal with things and you sometimes we don't always handle them the best way. Um, and I think one of the, the, the best place, you've heard me say this before, the best place to be honest with yourself is, is uh, is with God and in, in, in definitely in a church setting. You're gonna be honest. Do it now. You do it when things are out there. You know, you put some, put it out there. And it's and it's usually as Christians, it's nothing we really want to get into. We don't want to talk about those things. But when it starts talking about love, we start being introduced into this this thing, this four letter word that is the centerpiece to everything that we do. And it's like the main centerpiece. You can't get rid of it. And, and because the scripture is not necessarily mentioned here uh, in this lesson, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. The fact that love is the greatest gift of all should tell us something about how it should function and how it should exist within the Christian life. Now, I think the thing that we need to be reminded of is not so much that there's this thing called love, but what it looks like. I think that's the thing I need to be reminded of more than anything. It's like, yeah, I know the love's out there. And yeah, I know we should be loved. Christians should be loving, right? I mean, that's kind of like the synonymous <coughs> thing. Christians should be loving people. And it's like, okay. But sometimes I need to be reminded of what that exactly looks like. And if I'm actually matching up with that, do I have a reflection of love? And the kind of love that I've been told to give. Because I know that the love that's been given to me, yeah. right? So we're going to kind of dissect this uh, this morning, and I think it's a great lesson. said that uh, God distrim- uh, demonstrated his love for humanity by sending Jesus to die for our sins. Now, we all, we all know and agree with that. Amen. In response, we ought to love him and love each other. With love as the motivating fa- uh, factor in our lives, we can naturally develop behavior that pleases him. Okay. It is common for Christians to wonder whether or not their lives are truly pleasing in God's sight. Some believers even find themselves troubled by this feeling like they need to do more for God to make him pleased with them. Yet we often make spirituality too complicated. I agree with that. I'm going to say that right now. I agree with that. I think sometimes we make spiritual spiritual things, spirituality, uh, God-driven things, God-birthed things, we make them entirely too complicated. And I think it's one of the reasons that it's it's hard for us to to witness accurately to other people is because we complicate the matter. And even with our own minds, it's so complicated. You know, we I gotta do this and I gotta do that. Would you agree that sometimes we complicate things? Amen. Have you, you? We were talking about this last week too. I mean, we're kind of like our own worst enemy when it comes to digging our own holes. We we're just we're notorious for that. We dig our own hole, and then we blame it on the enemy. You know, the enemy did this, and then I didn't do this, and 
and then it all just come crashing down. It's like, man, let's not complicate the matter and let's realize that sometimes that fall just simply falls back on us. Um, and in some cases, it's too focused on our own efforts. The truth is that Christians that that the Christian walk is basically a matter of loving God, loving others. Basically, the Christian walk is loving God, loving others. Now, you think there's no way it could be that simple. And then I ask myself, well, what if it is? And it just so happens to be the very thing that would be the hardest struggle. Because I don't think I don't think anybody in here, if you love if you if you if you know God is your savior, you know Jesus is your savior, loving God part is not the hard part. Come on. That's not the issue. Actually, if you want to split it into two halves and just kind of cut it right down the middle, say loving God, loving others. Loving God is the easy part. And that's that's the most gratifying. It's the easiest thing to actually walk into. It's freely done, right? Well, then the second part is the part where it actually gets complicated. Because now it's going to get challenging because then God is saying, now I want you to love others the same way that I loved you. Like, whoa, brakes hit. Everything locks up. Engine locks up. There's no oil in it. I mean, it's like, and it stops. Because then that goes against everything that we feel physically. It's like, oh, whoa, no, 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 no. There's no way I can do that. But that's what's being asked. That's the challenge. That's the, that's the part of it. And I think that Christians need to be, I think we need to be reminded that I, I love the Lord. I love him. And I'm pretty sure you love him. But that's not all we've been asked to do. We've actually been asked to love others too. And so I think we have to we, we come back into that, that place of defining what does that look like what does it really mean to love somebody other than ourselves what am I gonna have to set aside as far as my emotions and maybe I got to lay aside some bitterness maybe I have to lay aside anger <laughs> I'm a I'm pretty transparent and so when this message come up I said I am not the right person to be delivering this message <laughs> I said, it's not the right person. So, you know, I had to go sift through my own bag and get those things right and understand, okay, this is where this is coming from. Because this is this lesson this morning is enormously challenging. I mean, especially if you're willing to take it at face value and not hide from anything. I think we can find ourselves all through this and this idea of loving God and then, and then understanding that it's not just loving God but loving others too. So, Jesus made this clear when he was approached concerning the greatest commandment and the true meaning of the law in Luke 10. Our Savior's answer to these questions was always the same. Love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. Okay, so let's go to our scriptures, page 17. Let's go ahead and read those and we'll get into the text. Sean, could, sir? Anything you're going to ask for that today? It's Luke. I know, I know. <laughs> well, it's just really small. Bless. Thank you. I know. I need to see this. Oh, yes. Uh, you want to use mine? <laughs> no, I've got some now. No, I mean this. Oh. No, I, I, I'm good now. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, Luke 10, 25. One day, an expert of religious law stood up on, or stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so that, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him for dead beside the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. 
The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If this, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these things, which of these three would you say as was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Mary, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while you, while you do all the work? Um, let her to tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, uh, you were you are worried and upset over these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Very good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I gotta get some glass. Cheers. <clears throat> yeah. You went near the first part that we went before we read the scriptures. You know, it's it's hard for us to uh, we pick and choose who we forgive. God didn't do that to us. Mm-mm. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you really. I mean, just by that, I mean that statement alone kind of really gets into the heart of the lesson, and it kind of really gets into the nuts and the bolts of of kind of what that. It, that point is and that's a strong point you know because I mean really that's kind of what we do we we're, we pick and choose who qualifies and I don't know how that looks like in your life and I was going to kind of make that point li- a little bit later on and that's but that's a fantastic point that we do often pick and choose and I'm not saying and let me say this because I think sometimes we may dismiss the fact that there isn't maybe some really good reasons why you should feel the way that you do towards someone else. And, and Christians have to understand that, yes, some of us definitely have reason to feel the way we feel towards other people. Absolutely. It's not a dismissal of feelings at all. Not a dismissal of feelings. It's not, it's not saying that we, we should dismiss our frustration or our anger over something. It's not. And I would even say that at times... Forgiveness, if we, if we use just forgiveness, let's use that. If we use forgiveness, it's a bit of a process at times. Can we agree with that? Yeah, amen. It, it's, it's, it takes some time to work into that place because all of, us, all, all of our situations are a bit different. Um, I guess a lot of times uh, we need to, you know, as Christians, we need to make sure that we do have something that we're working through and that we haven't created our own issue. Or we're, we're definitely bitter over nothing. There's nothing really there to be upset about. Um, we're, we're bad about that. <clears throat> fly off the handle. Anyone, anyone fly off the handle? Amen. Fly off the handle. And you look back, you're like, you know, maybe I took that a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Maybe Amen. maybe I invested a little bit too much emotion in that, and maybe I should step away from that. And so there's a lot of different angles, but let's, let's consider all things. Okay. <clears throat> Part one, love the Lord. Luke 10 records a situation which uh, an expert of the law decided to Put Jesus to the test. His intent was likely to trap Jesus as some kind of statement that could have interpreted as, be interpreted as blasphemous against God or the law. However, the man's question to Jesus was an important one: What should I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life. Good question. Instead of directly answering his question, Jesus asked some questions of his own. Jesus apparently wanted to search his questioner in order to prompt him to think about what was what the correct answer might be. I actually gleaned maybe something from this that maybe others don't or maybe you think exactly the way I do but this kind of I always think of myself as asking God questions how many of us ask God questions in prayer amen do you always get an answer <laughs> no 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 and, and, and really at times the pause poses more questions amen. and I I believe that's a good thing because I believe that we're being asked to think about what we're asking. Think. I mean, if you if you if you immediately got an answer, then and you we've talked about this before, but I mean, if you immediately got an answer every single time, 
God would turn into that vending machine. He would just be somebody you consult when things got kind of rough. It's like, what do I do? You know, it's almost like a, it, it, it wouldn't be, how do I put this? He wouldn't be, some people say, well, what would be the harm in that? Well, God would be turned into like the, um, um, the crooked bookie. Who do I bet on? How can I gain an advantage? How can I get better? How can I get more? We would always use God that way. It's like, you're the master of the universe. You should know how to make my life prosperous. Tell me how to pull this off. And God would turn into that. It would be very much different than it is now. It would not be about love. It wouldn't be about seeking his face, learning about him. If God answered you every single time directly that you asked him, we would turn him into something that he's not. We would only consult him when things went the way we wanted them to. You know, it's, 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 to me, it's locked in our behavior as people. You can see it all over humanity, the way that we operate and the way that we handle ourselves. What makes us think that we would treat God any different? And I always think about Jesus, you know, when he was doing miracles. He even told the people who was following him. How many of you ever said, I would, it would be so amazing to see a miracle, and if I seen a miracle like that, I would, I would never disbelieve even Jesus said it himself. He said, the only reason you guys are even following me around is to see another miracle. That's exactly how we would turn him if we were given all of the answers that we want. So sometimes we're given a bit of silence to think about what we are asking. And in time, do you get answers? Sure, it's taken me at times years to get the answer that I was looking for. Why didn't he give it earlier? I don't know if I was ready for the answer that he was going to give me. I don't know if I fully understood what I was even asking when I asked. So, anyway, someone had a hand up. Go ahead. Uh, I just know the Lord's been dealing with me on serving. Okay, Serving Good. him, serving others. And there's a lot of times your feelings and emotions will get in the way of that. And even serving God, he'll be like, ask you to do something. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Or, or somebody at work or somebody at home or someone in your family who may have done you wrong or children. And you really don't want to serve them right now because they've been bugging you for the last 30 minutes for a cup of juice. And I was like, I don't want to serve you right now. But it's just, he's been worried, he's still working on me, just serving others. Because if you love them, you will serve them. And, and in that, what in whatever capacity that is. From one end of the spectrum to the other, is kind of what you're saying. From juice cups being filled, filled all the way to dealing with tired and helping someone bitterness and yes. anger and frustration. That's good. That's, I mean, that's a full spectrum type of type of scenario and I would say that it, it's somewhere in between usually can we agree with the juice cup thing can, can we agree with the can we agree with the, the other end of the spectrum the the serving even when we're we're upset or bitter I think that's a tough one because that's what we have to challenge ourselves to to really operate in in love how many times are we the one asking God for the juice cup right. <laughs> that's good yeah yeah that's true Okay, let's keep going. That's good. It is important to note that in turning the man's question back on him, Jesus appealed to the authority of all the scriptures in existence at that time, and more specifically, the law. What follows then can be seen as a summary of every command in the law. All that God commands, therefore, can be in some way derived from what is, uh, what is about to be stated by Jesus. The scribe's answer to Jesus proved to be right. Clearly, the man knew and understood the law. Yet while Jesus acknowledged the correctness of the response, the Savior did not leave it at that. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So, he, so what that's a reflection of in verse 28 is knowledge. Is knowledge. I get it. It's like I get it. Knowledge, okay? So you get it. You have knowledge. And this is kind of, kind of what I was saying at the beginning. He said, all right, you get it. You get it that there's love. There's this thing called love that it should be used and it should be operated. Oh, okay, we all get it. So kind of... In a way, this is exactly where we're at at this point. We have knowledge. We get it. We understand that there is something there. But is there something more? Just knowing what is right is not enough. The scribe was responsible to live out that truth that he understood. The scribe's response reflected two common passages of the law. The first found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 is often referred to as the Shema, a Hebrew word meaning hear or listen, which is the first word of the passage. The heart of the law required that they love the Lord their God supremely. Jewish thought 
has long held the soul to be the center of the human being, the place of understanding, emotions, and will. The soul was viewed as the essence of life. So loving the Lord with all of our heart and soul means with the entirety of our being. All right, so in, in going back to what we said in the, at the beginning, we're okay with that for the most part. Most Christians agree and are okay with that. They're like, yeah, totally agree with that. We should love God with all of our soul, our heart, our mind, and our strength. And we're on board with that. It's like, we're, and we are, would you agree that we're constantly in a place of perfecting that walk? Amen. Okay, I think, we, I think we all pretty well agree with that. But then here comes the other half. It's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm into that half. I'm really into it. Do you ever think about this? It's like, I ask this question to myself, but I always ask it to you, but it's kind of rhetorical. It's like, but why are you into that front half so much? Well, the answers vary greatly, but I think we all have a common denominator. He saved us from hell, right? Amen. I mean, it's kind of like it's common denominator amongst all Christians. He did this for me. He did that for me. There's like this affirmation that we've gotten because he's rescued us from something tremendous. And so we connect with that. It's like, well, I don't really connect that way with this person or that person or this one over here. We don't really... We don't really connect in that way. And then I begin to really step back and I think, and I have to redefine love again. Am I loving God simply for something that he has given me? Or do I love him for who he is? That really makes you step back and rethink why you're even loving him. Because it shouldn't be confusing, that confusing of a deal, for us to understand that he's asking us to love others the same way that he loved us. Which was what? Unconditionally. Not so much on what he has done individualistically, which we put a lot of emphasis on that. He gave me a great job. And he, he gave me a nice home. Or he, gave, he put money in my pockets. Um, he did all these things for me. And, and sometimes we get so hyper-focused on the thing that he did that we forget that it's who he is that should be worshipped and praised and thanked. And... How many of you have heard this in this church before? If he didn't do anything else, if he just was, it'd be enough. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. But because of our culture and because of the way that we live, sometimes we get lost in the things that he does more than who he is. Calling you, calling you back to that example. The only reason you're following me around is for miracles. You just want to see another great thing. You're okay with following me as long as I'm doing something. It's technically what he was saying. He's saying, you're okay with following me as long as I'm doing something, but if I decide to stop doing something, then where does, where does our, where's our love? Where's our relationship? Are you okay with that? Are you in love with me just because I'm, I am God on the throne? Are you in love with me because we have a relationship together? And if you were totally destitute, would you still love me the same way? That really should make us rethink the way that we love God. And then, how do I love other people? Because we'll, we'll take that idea, follow me here, you'll, we'll take that idea of what God has done. And then we'll take it and we'll connect it to all the other people out there and we'll see what someone else has done for us and whether they're worthy to be loved or not. You worthy to be loved by me? Let's see what you've done. Oh, you hadn't really done anything for me. You hadn't been really, uh, you hadn't been really good to me. You haven't, and, and I don't know if I really want you around. It could. It could. I'm just saying. We could be loving God the same way. Check it. Make sure we are not loving God incorrectly. Make sure we love him for more than just the things that he does because we might be transferring that over to the next person and then expecting something from them. Uh-huh. So we come back to that basis. Okay, here we are. What's love look like? We're starting to kind of get an image here. It's like, man, it would be easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wouldn't it be easier? <laughs> we could just operate that way? Boy, it'd be so much easier, but that's not the case. Okay, so all the entirety of the being, God has also told the Israelites how to treat one another. Leviticus 19, 9 through 19 lists a very variety of instructions. Reading them, we see that we are not just to avoid certain behaviors such as stealing, lying, or defrauding someone. We must love people and treat them with compassion. Just knowing the truth is not enough. Jesus said to the scribe, 
do this and you will live. The right thinking is uh, meaningless unless our life reflects that understanding. What the world really needs from Christians is actions that show our beliefs. And I, we've Amen. talked about that. We agree with that. Um, and I've, I've, uh, I've attached, and, I, and of course, I've attached a lot of, of what we deal with. Um, it's based in our affirmation. And I think we live in a society today, and I'm just going to kind of chase this tangent for just a second here before we move to section two. We live in a society today that's really kind of addicted to affirmation. Addicted to it. And, and, and I'm talking everything from social media and people posting things just to get a like. Uh, we see our young people engrossed in this today, absolutely enveloped in the idea. And, let, and let's be honest. Let's be honest. It feels good to make a post and see a lot of people's comments and a lot of people give a thumbs up. And you think, why does that? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why does that feel good? Because by nature, we love affirmation. We love and I don't care what you say, you cannot, you, this, it's impossible to argue this. Everybody loves to be patted on the back. Come on. Everybody Amen. loves to be patted on the back and told, good job, you're awesome, you're fantastic, you're great at what you do. We all love that. And so what, what has happened in our society is we've become, uh, people have become addicted to uh, micro affirmations. Micro affirmations we become we become uh, elevated and excited when we get a, a thumbs up or a pat on the back and so what happens is is you keep going back to it over and over and over again it's this affirmation and soon what has happened is I've done a little bit of research on this is because or what happens is is we become um, addicted to the affirmation therefore now all of our relationships, need to deliver some sort of affirmation into our life and if they don't we really don't want to be a part of them and you think you think how is it that people can spend the majority of their lives being okay with relationships online and not relationships in real life it's because they don't offer enough affirmation they don't give enough not enough thumbs up just to sit and talk to you <laughs> I'm, being, I'm, just, I'm just saying there's quite a bit of research that backs this and to, to think that we couldn't fall into the same category, to think that somehow that, that we might be engulfing ourselves in this behavior and to thinking that we're really not into any of these things unless they offer some sort of a thumbs up, a good feeling, a, a good sense of well-being. And if they don't, I, I'm just not really interested. I didn't say that you necessarily had to hate anybody, but you're just not really interested. Don't really want to be a part of that. Don't really. I don't need to talk to you, face to face. I can just talk to you right here. I run a business, so I know exactly what that's like. It's easier for me not to talk to people, but to text. But when it comes to keeping in line with developing relationships, you got to talk to them. Mm -hmm. now, have you ever noticed God never changed the technology curve when it comes to how to communicate with Him? <laughs> he didn't. He didn't enhance technology in the spiritual realm. So you could do something different. It's been on your knees prayer since the very beginning. It has never changed. That the way we communicate. So to me, God still says, "You're not going to get out of this one. You want to communicate with me? You want to talk to me? We're going to talk one on one, and that's the way we're going to keep this relationship going, even though society might say otherwise." Well, if you talk to somebody, and I had a problem with this. You look them in the eye and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And I was brought up. Good. I was brought up. Don't even look at me. You know, I'm talking to you. <laughs> no, don't you look at me. Especially don't look at me that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got that for sure. there on the ground. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's rough mm -hmm. to look at some people in the eye and talk to them because you can see it in their eyes mm -hmm. already. That I'm not believing a word you say. You know, <laughs> yep. you're just you're just full of everything that mm -hmm. what you're supposed to be full of. Sure, and and that works both ways too. You know, people looking at us in the eye and us being uh, doing that also. All right. But I finally That's overcame good. that thing. Mm -hmm. Now I can look at people. Yeah, I think it's an honorable thing. Very good. Okay, let's move to section two. Got a little bit of ground to cover here. 
not to be deterred from questioning Jesus. Uh, the the uh, questioning Jesus, the scribe asked, "And who is my neighbor?" Now, the the scribe wasn't the 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 lawman was not going to give up because Jesus actually delivered a very good answer, but that wasn't enough. And he was like, you know, okay, we got a bit of justification here. He's like, okay, I can't let this go. And Jesus was actually, this was the end of the conversation. But you noticed you're going to get a really interesting answer now because he, he fished for more. And God is always that way. It's like, you want to, if you don't want to drop it, I'll give you really the depth <laughs> of this thing. And so he doesn't want to drop it. You know, he's like, okay, well, who's my neighbor then? You know, I, I guess I can sense a bit of sarcasm in this question. There's a bit of sarcasm. I don't know exactly how it is. I wasn't there, and of course, there's not. Ex- it's not. There's no emojis to tell me <laughs> how they might have been feeling at the moment. So I'm not sure. But I sense a bit of sarcasm in this because of who he was in his position, and then the answer was clear and concise. So he got a clear and concise answer. Now he's like, okay, how do I save face? Well, I want to know who my neighbor is. So he still wants more. In Matthew 5.43, Jesus said, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Okay? That's what he says. Some Jewish religious teaching have twisted Leviticus 19.18, restricting the obligation of Jews to love only those who deserve their love. Those who said this ignored the teachings of Leviticus that told God's people to show the same love for the foreigner as for the fellow Jew. Okay, so what is that? What's it saying? Well, what they had done was... They had twisted it, and they had made it convenient for them. And this is why Jesus is quoting this. He said, uh-huh. "He said you've been hearing." Um, let me just find that again. Um, you shall love thy uh, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. He said that's what you've that's what you've heard, that's what you've been hearing. But he said, "No, that's not the case." And so he said that um, the lesson says, those who said this ignored the teachings of Leviticus that was told by God's people to show the same love for the foreigner as for the fellow Jew. So something was lost in translation over time, and they had injected themselves into it, and had become um, something of a norm. This is where I really see our culture today. It's like there's this crazy mesh of religion and world and opinions and ideas and say okay we need to come right back down to what the word says and this is exactly what jesus was doing he's like all right look we need to get we need to find out what was really said here okay when you find out what was really said and i'm going to tell you what you've been hearing and then i'm going to tell you what you need to do about it and so this is where we're at so jesus responded with one of his most familiar parables the parable of the good samaritan the parable conveys a vivid contrast the two people who failed to carry out the true meaning of the law were religious men likely on their way to perform religious duties. And if you've heard the lesson before, you've heard those scriptures, and we just read them, you know this is the case. There was a bit of, you got these religious individuals of the time, you see the person in need, they're like, we don't associate with your type because of them, because of being who they were, or this individual who they were. He said, even the, the even their religion would not allow them to do it. They had been so steeped in their own religious ideas and beliefs and opinions that they could not actually see love. So it says, they chose not to help a person who was in need, thus failing the test of loving one's neighbor. The place that we get to, and I'll say this and we'll keep going, the place that we often get to with the parables is we take the parables literal and then we dismiss ourselves because it doesn't line up. For example, it's like, remember, in the context of what he was saying, he was giving a parable. He was like, I'm giving you a really good example of what needs to be done. But what we do is we often take it literal. We're like, I ain't left nobody by the roadside. I help people change their tires. I don't I didn't leave anybody when I seen them down and hurting. It's like, oh, it's not, it's not that literal. Of course you would do that. The challenge is to see it in all facets of life. It's to see the person that's destitute in other ways, maybe emotionally. We can follow that, like, down a rabbit hole. People don't, you know, you don't really click with them, so you decide not to engage. And maybe all they need is just some nice word or something said to them, but because that they really don't speak 
the way that we speak or they talk a different way. Maybe they've got tattoos on them and it makes us feel uncomfortable. We're like, you know what? I'm going to kind of leave that alone. I'm going to let that go. And so what are we doing? We're dismissing. We're dismissing that. And I don't know. I, I mean, maybe we need to, at that point, really understand where what love is and what it looks like because maybe we're missing the point. We're missing it at that moment because we're qualifying people depending on how they look and how they act. And this is exactly what these two were doing in their religious way, walking down the road and seeing them. It's like, uh, yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't connect with that. And by all rights and means, probably wouldn't have been argued by anybody in the area at that time. But this was the example for, the, for a reason. Okay, so let's keep moving. But then, it is Samaritan enters the scene. The Samaritans were Jews left behind by the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, of Israel was taken into uh, Syrian captivity. The Samaritans intermarried with non-Jewish people groups and mingled the worship of God with idolatry. This is why they didn't like them. So you've got, you've got, um, you've got somebody entering the scene that's kind of like a, you know, it's a reject it's like, you know, this, is, this person is of no worth, of, of, of no good whatsoever because of what they've done to our religion. As a result, Jews saw the Samaritans as detestable. The Jewish religious men had avoided the injured man, but the Samaritan proceeded to show love to a perceived enemy. The powerful message is that God's people are to be people of love regarding even our enemies as neighbors. So... I think I'm going to go back for just a minute here and, and I want to talk a, a little bit deeper because I think that the reason we struggle so hard with the love factor is that we're constantly in defense and we always want to feel as though we have a weapon. We always want to feel, it always makes you feel good if you've got something in the reserve tank to attack somebody with. We're always on guard, you know? Always feel, we don't, some of us have been hurt and, and because of the hurts that we received in the past, we build on that hurt with a defensive mode. And so anytime you're in a, anytime you've come from a past where you've been hurt or you've been dealt some hard blows, we have a tendency to struggle loving people properly. And many times we're actually fully dysfunctional with the way that we love people. We actually attack with a weapon. That could be your mouth. That could be your attitude. And that weapon and that, that, that attitude is actually a bubble that you have created to protect yourself. You're protecting yourself. And, and as I said at the beginning, many of us have some really good reasons why we've created these bubbles. Some of us have got some really legit situations that we've been through as to why we play defense with love and why we're guarding ourselves from really connecting with people because we don't want to get hurt again mm -hmm. really at the root i'm talking about at the root now i'm talking mm -hmm. about some deep talk here at the root we don't want to have to go through that again and we didn't realize that what had happened has carried over into these relationships and now we struggle loving people even when we see it written right in front of us, we struggle with that. And so what I'm saying this morning is, is that we're going to have to, as, as Christian people, we're going to have to learn to use love as the weapon, not the bitterness and anger and all of those things. We're going to have to use love, use it. And as we begin to use it, we're going to see doors begin to open. We're going to have things begin. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be very challenging. If you feel like you got to put something in your hand, let's put let's put love in. Let's put love. Let's put it in there and let's start to use it. Because we're we're calling it love. <laughs> we're call, we're calling it love, but I don't know if we're actually acting it out. I don't, I don't know. And when I'm saying this, I'm challenging myself, all the pieces. Um, recently had to do this. It's like I don't want to love, but. If I don't do this, how long is this going to carry on? Probably infinitely. And if I and if, if by chance, and this is just a crazy thought, if by chance I take my last breath, I'm stuck with this thing. Mm -hmm. 
I'm stuck with it. And what I mean by that is, is I'm going to have to report to the master with what I've been carrying around. And I don't know if I can handle that. So that's a thought. I know you, on your job, you probably run into a lot of people. With a lot of people. Different, different, different kind of personalities. Sure. <laughs> like I did here recently. Matter of fact, two of them. Mm-hmm. They happen to be brothers, and uh, I didn't I didn't get mad at them or anything, but uh, they, they come in the yard, you know, and they're talking to me, and about every third word was something that I didn't want to hear, mm-hmm. and uh, I finally told him, I said, I, I don't want to get on to you about your speech. He said, I said, because I used to do that myself. Mm-hmm. I said, but you need to stop and think. I said, I like to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But I can't, I can't talk to you if you're going to use that kind of language. Mm-hmm. I said I'm, a, I'm away from that, and I don't want to hear it. Sure. And you know he straightened up mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, you didn't love too. Me. You didn't love. Mm-hmm. You didn't love. Now, now, now I call, and y'all called him brother. I said brother. I, I don't like to hear that. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't stay around it. I mean, I can't talk to you if you're going to use that kind mm-hmm. of language. So Jim gives a good example of how to operate love. How many of you have been in that situation and didn't use love? Anybody? It's like, look, I'm going to tell you, and then I don't care how it comes off. And we come off the wrong way. And, I, you know, it's, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, it's not tactful. Maybe I'm, that's the wrong word to use, not tactful. But we have to make sure that we love people in that way to get our message across, say what we need to say, but still be loving. And, th- and that's why I said it was so funny that this message comes the day after Christmas because I know that different family dynamics are so complicated and different. And so there's no telling what people have been through today. You know, they come they come to church and they're like, oh, man, if you knew what it's like when my family comes into town and, and, the, and the complications and all the things. And, and, it's, and it's, it's funny, but, you know, I was thinking about it and I was thinking there's so many different struggles in families and... And there's always, you know, this dynamic that you have to deal with. And so I think this lesson this morning really challenges us to relook at that and relook at love. Um, I've got just a couple minutes here. Let me finish this out. I'm gonna, I want to make sure we finish. Well, what we have to realize, we're not perfect, Jesus. No, absolutely not. That's right. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to be loved, you better be lovable. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to be loved, you better be lovable. You better, we, got to, we got to be uh, lovable people. Jesus' command that the scribe go and do the same is important for believers today. We need to show compassion and mercy to anyone in need, regardless of who they are, where they come from, or what their spiritual background might be. In this way, we can obey the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. Religious titles mean nothing. Absolutely. Religious titles mean nothing. Mm-hmm. So... What's what's? Give me some religious titles. What might what might mean something to somebody? Pastor, teacher. Okay, pastor, teacher. Evangelist. Evangelists. Some there's some these are some positions that God's put in place too. Some legitimate things. And so, regardless of of, of titles, now let me ask you a question. Someone weigh in on this. Why do titles mean nothing? Ah, there we go. That's the heart of the matter right there. Because we are all just people. Amen. Regardless of, of, of a name tag or, or what you do for a living, any of that. I always think that was crazy, too, because our jobs hold so much clout in our world today, in our society, but it's just the way that we eat. That's it. It's just, it's just the way we eat. And so she, she says this, and he gets right down to the, the, the bottom of it, because... You're just a person, and if you're just a person, that means the person, that that guy, that girl, that woman, that man, they're a person too. They've got blood running through their veins. They've got emotions, and they've got feelings, and they've got things. And there's probably a really good chance, I've learned this lesson the hard way, there's a good chance that you probably don't know the full story as to why things have went the way that they went. You think, well, the reason I treat that person the way that I do or have up to this point is because of X, Y, and Z. Well, maybe you don't know the full story. I've held on to thoughts and ideas for years, only to find out that I didn't know the full story. Mm-hmm. Amen. Man, 
man, how did I not, why would I be so naive to think that I knew it all? Why? Why would I do that? But isn't it in our nature? It's, it's kind of in our nature. We think we know everything. And so when it comes to this love challenge, this is this, this morning, this is the thing. This is the love challenge. This is a challenge. This is right at the, at the heart of what we think we believe. We believe in Christ. We believe in, in him being our savior. That's the front half. We love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then here comes the second half, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love them the way God has loved you. That's the challenge. All right, let's keep, let's keep moving. In our willingness to spend ourselves to assist others, um, it is, I'm sorry, it is our willingness to spend ourselves to assist others, even those we may think of as our enemies that pleases God. Like, wait a second. This pleases him? Because now the lesson teaches that there's actually a direct result of your action. And the direct result is what? That it pleases God. Well, that, that does what? Well, that X's out all my affirmation. I don't get no good feelings from this. Think about it. Think about it. Are we not motivated most of the time by the good feelings that we get by doing it? Yeah. But what if? What if? What if there's no good feelings? What if there's no good feelings? What if? What if on your posts... I'm just throwing this out there. Think about this. What if on Facebook there was no comments at all? No comments, no thumbs up, no thumbs down, no emojis, no nothing. What if you could only make a post and say what you needed to say and you could never get anything in return? I wonder how many people would continue to make posts. I wonder. I wonder. If we would, if if a lot of it would stop, because the good feelings were gone, so we're motivated by at our at our core of flesh, we're motivated by the good feelings that we get. We like to do it only when it's good for us. What if that's not the case? What if we erase that? What if we take that out of the equation? Can we still do what needs to be done? Can we love? Can we love people the way God has loved us? If we don't get anything from it. Nothing. Nope, you don't get anything. You just got to go love them because that's what you've been told to do. Come on. Please don't make me do it. No, this is, this is, this is love. This is what it's looking like. See, we've got, we went through this lesson. And I'm not going to be able to make it to part three, but we got a really good look at the face of what this looks like. And maybe even, maybe even a look at some versions of love that are not accurate with God's word. Maybe some things that we've fallen into just because of normal day-to-day living that really don't match up to the way God is asking us to treat other people. Okay. Um, spending ourselves uh, to assist others, even those who may think of, uh, of as our enemies, that pleases God. We must ask ourselves, what kind of neighbors uh, will we be to others? What kind of neighbor will we be? We're always wanting to, you, <laughs> we're always wanting, we want good neighbors to surround us, but we never think about what kind of neighbor we are to someone else. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want to live in the good neighborhood. You know, people say that, you know, I want to live in a good neighborhood. Well, maybe people don't want you moving into their neighborhood. <laughs> but we don't think about it that, from that angle. Amen. It's always about us, you know, it's always about what we want. Jesus summarized the Old Testament law as loving God with one's whole being and then loving others as oneself. We must not dismiss the teaching of the Old Testament as antiquated. Antiquated means old-fashioned or outdated. For they inform us about the heart of God. The Christian life is relational. That right there is probably one of the, the greatest truths. It's coming from the lesson. It's all throughout the Bible. The Christian's life is relational. What does that mean? It's about relationships. It is. It's about relationships. And the thing that we often use, and I've had to overcome a lot of hurdles in my own life to be more relational. But if you let the flesh have its way, we're like hermits. Can we agree with that? I mean, the the tendency. What's the tendency? The tendency is to shut my door and don't knock. Don't come to my house. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Let me do my thing. I'm with you. 
Okay? I'm 100% with you. But is that accurate, though? Is that the way we're supposed to be living our life? Is it, is it, is it really about just us and how we can escape? And we'll let ourselves off the hook a lot of times. It's like, you know, it's crazy out there. You know, it's crazy. I don't even want to mess with all the craziness. I'm with you. I don't want to mess with it either. But I'm still here. And so I really don't have much of a choice. But then our next, our next step is then we just hide. I just want to get away from it all. I don't want to mess with it. How, how can we be accurate, though? How can we be an accurate witness if we just hide all the time? And you've heard Pastor and I talk about it. And we've entertained the idea. What would it be like, man, I'd just love to have a cabin out in the woods and just get away from everything. It would just be so great. Just to get, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in here that's got the cabin idea. <laughs> any, any of you watch videos on YouTube about people building cabins out in the woods? You wouldn't like it. <laughs> think, oh, it would be so good to get away from everybody and everything. But that's not what I've been called to do. That's not what I've been called to do. We've been called to be witnesses. We've been called to, to make an impact and an example. Um, and on a simpler note, I, uh, Lath and I, we grew up in the country. Uh, you know, nice place out, 20 acres, nice ravines, good stomping grounds for kids, great place to grow up at. And I've always wanted to return there. I'm 42 and God has always had me right in the middle of town. <laughs> and I've said it, I've said, you just will not let me move away from it. Said, nope, mm -mm. right here in the middle of town. Like, for whatever reason, I'll do my best with what I've got. See, we just can't. We can't hide. i got to keep moving. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, the Christian life is relational. We must live in a right relationship with God and other people. Uh -huh. We must live in a right relationship with God. Then there's that second part that really presses the truth issue to the max, and it's also with other people. And so this morning... I leave you with that challenge. It's the love challenge this morning of, of being able to love um, everyone the way that God would want you to love them. I didn't say it was going to be easy. It's probably going to be an enormous hurdle. Some of you, as we said before, some of you have got some seriously legitimate reasons as to why we choose not to love people the way that God has asked us to do it. We've got hurts. We've got pains. No dismissal of that this morning at all, at all. Not, not, not whatsoever am I dismissing the fact that you've been through some trauma. Maybe you've been through some issues and you've got situations you're working through. Absolutely, God's going to get you through that. But we've got to recognize when we're falling short. We have to recognize. If we can do that, we can get back on track again. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you. Thank you.